from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT, both places where you're listening live. You are watching live, hello everyone, from Facebook.com backslash LiveNowDT, as well as on YouTube.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. We're inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. We thank you so much for being here, hanging out with us every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern. And inside of MonPazPopcorn.com's What's Poppin', we've had Tourney Time Talk continue with Syracuse Orange basketball alumni. We've been doing this all throughout last week and this week and, of course, throughout the season and, and all throughout the year we talk with Syracuse players. And I want to thank them so much for repping my hometown in a fantastic way. Uh, Dennis Duvall was here with us in hour one into hour two. And for the first time ever, that 1996 Final Four championship runner-up team, the guys that I've gotten to talk to, a part of this, uh, John Wallace, Otis Hill, you know, Lazarus Sims and company, so, so happy, Todd Bergen, to be around this team that I got to, as, as I tell people, you know, arguably, probably still my favorite team in Syracuse basketball history. And I've never gotten the chance to speak with this gentleman. And I and I told him I could rattle off everybody's name. I could draw a picture of what everybody looked like when I was a kid, 10 years old watching. I knew names. I knew their numbers. I knew everything about this team from top to bottom. And so it is with my honor, my pleasure my grace and thanks to God that I get to add another person from this 1996 Final Four run and somebody that I just genuinely have respected from afar. So the little kid in me is is freaking out this morning that I get to have J.B. Reef Snyder on the show. Such an honor, such a privilege, and uh, definitely is uh, such a beautiful thing about being a kid watching this team and 25 years later I get to be on the call with J.B. Reef Snyder, and, and I'll say it up to God, it was uh, 25 years not too soon. I, I would have waited 50 years. So J.B. is here with us. I am so much looking forward to this conversation, so let's bring him in. J.B., how are we doing today? Doing well. Good morning, Dan. Make me feel a little old this morning. <laughs> it was 25 years ago. Not trying to make you feel old, but, but J.B., I mean – I, like I said in in you know in this intro for you, like I have been a fan of your team since watching it live in real time, and I am I'm ecstatic to have the opportunity to talk with you. So before anything else, I want to tell you that you know you were on that list of guys that I I had to talk to that I had to get on the show at some point in my life. So I'm very thankful that uh, that you you obliged me and gave me the opportunity to speak with you today. Uh, it, it's my pleasure. I've been a long-time listener of yours and, and um, very glad that we were able to get in touch and I, I can get in and be a participant on your show. Well, I will tell you, JB, that I don't know if people can see it, but you put tears in my eyes right now telling telling me that 
you've been a longtime listener of my show when, you know, the 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 10-year-old in me that watched you guys play in those games, I mean, I if you would have told him back then that anybody on that television screen was going to be listening to his show, he would he would have the same tears I have today. So, I don't really have words for it, but thank you for that. I appreciate that. Uh, you're welcome and, and you know it's just it's uh, good to know and and I think myself and I can speak for my teammates we all appreciate the, the tremendous loyal fan base of Cuse Nation um, that even as kids when they grow up and are, and are adults and men and women um, they still follow the Cuse they remember they're with you, good times and bad. They remember the the older teams and support the new, recent teams, and that's just such a loyal following that some fan bases don't have, but but we have a strong one there in Q's country. Yeah, you do, and you know that this fan base. I want to go to that really quick, and, and well, Tarantino, this thing kind of go backwards, but I got to, uh, as I said to to Dennis Duvall, I I got to be uh, locally here. I love supporting the local companies in my in my community of central and upstate New York. I love that I built my business here to come back and work with these people and show them some love and, and show them hopefully uh, my my unique way of tackling things and, and wanting to help. And we were at Pizza Man Pub, Demetrius Nichols, who played at SU, also there with me uh, co-hosting. And we got to be there and did, for the first time ever, I've never seen anything like this, we did a bracket announcement show and so in real time, as the bracket was announced, we, you know, did this broadcast with the fans at Pizza Man Pub on 50 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville. And I implore people to go out there throughout the week and obviously go there to watch the tournament. And so the that, like, that moment of every time a bracket came up, even when Syracuse was already picked, when the bracket came up, the entire room would go silent. And when Syracuse's name showed up on that 11 line, that moment, like I remember the Cuse in the house, oh my God moments, and those will give me chills and stay with me forever. One of the Syracuse moments, just like that moment, to me, as far as getting chills, will always be in that room at Pizza Man to, in real time, by the second, see Syracuse get released, be there with Demetrius Nichols, who I consider a friend, and hear the Syracuse fans just have pure, raw, uninterrupted, unedited emotion. Like, you know Syracuse fans are awesome. Being with them this year in that moment, especially with everything we've been through on top of that, it just it made me feel like basketball is back. It made me feel like we're resilient. And it just reminded me that some things never change, like Syracuse fans just wanting to see their team make the tournament. Uh, definitely agree. It was, we were watching, uh, my, my kids and I, um, and wife were, were sitting around watching and just waiting and waiting. I, I knew we would get in. Seems like coach always finds a way to get in. We're playing some of our best basketball right now, um, which is the perfect time to peak going into tournament time. So uh, I had no I had no doubt we would get in. I was just had to get sit through three brackets before they finally got <laughs> to our region to, to put us in. But we got there, and I think we'll surprise some people. Yeah, you know, and, and we have San Diego State. I just spoke with Dennis about it. They, against against teams that are in the NCAA tournament, 
there uh, this season. They're one and zero against UCLA, zero and one against Brigham Young, and one and two against Utah State. How much do you know about San Diego State? What do you think about the matchup? And does it really matter when Syracuse seems to play their best basketball at the end of the year? Uh, well, taking them in order, I don't know much about San Diego State. I haven't followed them at all all season. The only little bit I know is you know what you what you read in in uh, or hear through the media um, about them. Um, I know they have a, a big man who can control the paint and rebounds pretty well. So we're going to have to rebound well out of our zone. But I, I think you know it's a different level of basketball when you get in the NCAA tournament. I mean, the regular season, um, you play a game, win or lose, there's another game. There's a, there's some finality to the NCAA tournament. You lose and you go home. Yeah. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure out there, and uh, Syracuse is a team who's like a lot of the, the bigger schools has been there, done it before, and and um, can prepare is a little better prepared going into it for that kind of that that kind of pressure. And, you know, a lot of teams don't play the zone. I, I know there's a lot of people out there that aren't a big fan of the zone. Um, but I, I think uh, in tournament time, it, it may be a little bit more effective than in the regular season because you have less time to prepare for it, especially if you haven't really seen it all, all season long. Yeah, so I, I, I like our chances in my brackets. Obviously, I have us advancing, and and, and my kids have us advancing. So, uh, as long as they're on board, I think we're good. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and I think that you know, uh, seeing that and seeing seeing them advance and go to work and and do what they need to do. I mean, I, I know fans are obviously looking forward to that, believing in that, and in the hopes of it. I, I kind of ended with Dennis in this respect, but I want to start with you here. Three different pieces for the current team. Who is the leader of this team, in your opinion? Like, who's the guy on this? I, I don't want to say the guy because there's a lot of guys. Let me reword this. Who is the, who is the guy that's playing his best basketball right now? Secondly, who is the most underrated player on the team? And then third... Who would you say is maybe like a dark horse in the tournament, so to speak? All right. Uh, playing their best basketball right now, for me, is Buddy. Yeah. Um, and and kind of as he goes, the team seems to go. Um, you know, he, he really energizes us with his scoring when he gets on a hot streak from deep. I mean, that, that can carry you through an NCAA tournament. His guard, guard, good guard play. And having somebody who can score in bunches, um, who's underrated, and you know maybe maybe it's a soft spot in my heart, but I think he could have an impact in the tournament. I saw him have an impact in the North Carolina game, and hopefully he gets a little more time. But is Jesse Edwards um, just having that length in the interior of the zone is extremely beneficial and helpful. Um, and hopefully he continues his development and can get some more time. And then, I don't know if you call this guy a dark horse, but he is an absolute workhorse who can change games around as well, and that's Dolezal. I've watched his growth over the years, and you just see these moments where 
his energy just kind of takes over a game. And it just uh, infuses into the rest of the team, and we really start getting on rolls. And if we can get those three coming together all at the same time, we're, we're going to be a, a dangerous out in the NCAA tournament. You know, and, and Marek Dolajai, speaking here with J.B. Reeves-Snyder, to, to look at Marek and just, just what you can say about what he's been, not this season, but overall, everything he's done. Through your eyes, how would you describe Marek? Um, you know, he reminds me a lot of someone like a uh, good friend of mine, coach out at Washington, uh, Mike Hopkins. Somebody who, who comes in and will do all the dirty work and not necessarily need any of the accolades, doesn't need to be MVP of the team, but will do whatever coach asks of him to do, whether it's go inside and battle the, well, what used to be big men. Now, I don't know if there's really true centers anymore in the game, but go inside and rebound and do dirty work, get out on a wing and guard a wing player. Um, he's very versatile. And every team needs those kind of players, someone that's extremely coachable, willing to do anything and everything, will get on the floor, bloody their face up uh, for, for the love of the game and to do what it takes for his team to win. And every team needs that player. I think Coach uh, recruits players like that for his team because I think he, he, he doesn't go and necessarily say, I need to have you know all 10 of my players have to be in the top 20 in the world he, he, he recruits players for his system that he runs yeah. i think that's what makes it effective and one of those players has to be somebody that he can get on to that doesn't get down when he's getting on to you and will go out and do the dirty work and uh, i respect uh, very much for that speaking here with jb reef snyder member of the 1996 runner-up team in the final four syracuse orange men's basketball alum JB, you you brought it up, and you know you said, "Is there a true center anymore?" You are the truest of true centers because you did not attempt a single three in Syracuse basketball history. A lot of big men try to do that now. They go to the outside, and you're like, "They're not gonna." Oh, they're gonna. Which now has gotten to the point. I mean, when Shaq, if Shaq tried to do it, everybody was like, "Come on, Shaq." But nowadays, everybody does it. What can you say about being a proud center in Syracuse basketball history that played inside and was over 40%? I mean, you were 40.8, 53.9, 47.7, 47.6. You finished your career almost 50% inside. You did not attempt a single three. So you are a true center. Bring me into the world of being a true center as opposed to what we see today where centers are launching threes at seven foot one. Yeah, well, I would have shot a three if Coach would have let me. Um, <laughs> yeah. He kind of restricted me to the high post area, short corner, and the in the block when John or Otis wasn't on the block. Uh, but, you know, the game has um, definitely evolved, so to speak. Back when I played, and one of the main reasons I came to, and, and I was still wish it was the Big East, personally, yeah. but one of the reasons I came to the Big East is I grew up watching the Cycles and the Coleman's and the Patrick Ewings and the Mornings and Matumbos and the true big men battling it out. And I wanted to throw my hat in the ring to see if I could hang in that kind of environment. Um, you know, I had to evolve my game over the years. And, and believe it or not, when I was 
playing overseas, I would step out and shoot threes and everything. But that's just how the game um, was evolving over the time. And, you know, now you've got these shooters, and I know they're the best in the world, like Steph Curry and Damian Lillard, uh, pulling up from just inside half court like it's nothing. Uh, unfortunately, I coach basketball in, in my spare time, and I get a lot of kids who come into the gym, and that's where they start shooting. And I, I beg and, and do my best to get them to start closer to the basket so they can kind of get a feel rather than and, and proper shooting form than, you know, jacking up three-pointers left and right. But uh, I miss some of the the days of seeing a dominant big man just take take over a game inside it and you know what you could still have one nowadays and i don't know what some of these teams who are playing small ball would would do with it uh, how they could guard it and defend it if you had a true uh, dominant big man uh, just controlling the interior rebounding offensive rebounding putbacks it'd be interesting to see yeah you know and 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 i love that game and i miss that game and i want to see that game again Gonzaga, you know, we see Gonzaga do it. We see them, you know, they'll, they'll have big men that, that'll take care of business inside throughout history. Uh, North Carolina rebounding, pulling down a 56 rebounds in a game, you know, and seeing what they can do. We, we know that it exists and it's still there. Maybe not a true big man everywhere, but we know that there's still that play around the rim. What do you think, could, I mean, if everything, JB, eventually comes back around, Right, I tell people all the time: keep what you want to keep, wear what you want to wear, be who you want to be. Because whether it's in style or not, be you, and things always come back. I mean, for goodness' sakes, if the fanny pack could come back, which it did, then anything can come back. So, do you think that we will be cyclical, and eventually a big man will show up that'll spark another big man that'll spark another, and then you and I will be talking about the big men again inside? And I never say never to anything. I, I think it's possible. Um, I think you're going to have to have a, a somebody that's a true center, somebody that that is built, has a size, is seven foot, seven foot one, seven foot two. Uh, prefers trying to dunk over people than stepping out and, and shooting the jump shot. Um, I mean, I know you, you you have guys in the league like Joel Embiid who can who can post up and make a move and dunk on somebody, but then he also is shooting the threes. I'd like to see somebody who wants to uh, kind of specialize in the interior position and just absolutely dominate people um, down low. Um, to, to, to a point you made uh, just a little earlier, it is still part of the game, though, having to rebound. I think, you know, when you look at some of these teams that have gone small ball, like the, the Houston Rockets experiment with James Harden and P.J. Tucker and everything, uh, P.J. had a hard time facing some bigger teams who were a little more dominant on the interior, and they got bounced out of the NBA playoffs. So I, I still think you have to have a presence inside. And you can't go true small ball and be successful at, at, at the collegiate or the professional level. Yeah, you know, and, and, and as we see this game evolve, J.B., through your eyes as a true center, what does the game look like to you over the past? I mean, you, you go back to your time at, at Syracuse and all the way to the end in 96. You know, over the past 20-plus years, what does the game look like? 
Um, it is. It, it's very offensive centric. Um, you know the the rules have changed a little bit. How you can guard people. What's a flagrant foul? What's not a flagrant foul? It's you know it, it was. I wouldn't say wrestling and football when we played, <laughs> yeah. but it was, you know, uh, somebody clothesline, somebody takes them to the ground. It was just a common foul back then. Now we have, you know, five minute long replay reviews to see if it was above the shoulders and how flagrant was it? Is it flagrant one, flagrant two? So that aspect has changed it. The shooting obviously has changed it um, a lot. I mean, it's really opened up the floor offensively gone gone are the days of packing it in when people are pulling up from 25 30 feet you're you're having to step out create a hand out there what what i see is missing a lot and i wish it was coming back some was the that mid-range game because if you have somebody who's stepping out 25 feet from the basket that high post area the wing areas are going to be wide open and and you got a lot of people who are either making their shots close to the basket or making them way away from the basket, but you don't have um, the artist anymore who can make those mid-range jumpers consistently. And I'd love to see somebody bring that back. You know, and to go off of that point, speaking here with Syracuse Orange basketball alum, J.B. Reefsnyder. Uh, J.B., do you think, I mean, I, I think he needs to shoot more, but... Marek, to you, is he is he living in that that mid range artistic world? He is. I mean, he's in the he's in that world that I, I worked in. Short corners, high posts. You know, we'd, we'd run a similar play that they run now, where I I'd flash up the high post and, and and John Wallace or Otis would duck in low. And I remember John used to say all the time to me, which was made him. Uh, one of the greatest teammates ever because he, he was outside of Lawrence Moten. Uh, John Wallace was probably the greatest player I've ever played with as a teammate. Um, Cause you know, Mo was phenomenal. Um, obviously as a, I think he's now a former Big East scoring leader. I think his record's been broken, but to have John sit there and tell me all the time, Hey, listen, when you get up to the high post, if they, back off of you to kind of double down on me and make your pass difficult, you got to shoot it. And, 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 you know, I started, once he started having that trust and faith in me and I started shooting some and making some, you know, that really opened things up for him. And I think Marag lives in that kind of world where I think he needs to take some more of them um, where he's there. And I don't think coaches, coaches never want to, um, discourage uh, someone shooting an open shot. Um, he discourages you taking bad shots and, and off-balance, difficult shots when you're double-teamed and everything. But I think if Barack can develop that, that just opens the game for everybody else. I mean, it opens up if they're running in off Buddy for some, some reason to cover Marac because he's making this shot, a quick pass out to Buddy for an open three. Or if they're coming up from down low, you can dump it down down low to somebody inside for, for a dunk or layup. Uh, it just kind of opens up the game more, and I think he needs to take advantage of that. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I agree. You know, I think he should be shooting more. We haven't, you know, we've seen him take over at times and do some things, and 
uh, that people weren't ready for, and he came through. And now, you know, there's more of the reality that he can be a scorer and, you know, take over a game than maybe what people thought before, but he doesn't always do it. So it would be nice to see him come through, and it would be nice to see him put it together. You know, I would love, love to to see you know, more of Marek offensively as he does so many things well for this team that I, I really appreciate. And, you know, JB, and I appreciate the uh, the knowledge and the wisdom that you bring to it as well. You know, you see the sign, you know, we talked about it off the air. You can see the sign in my studio, the, the Cuse is in the house, oh my God sign. What can you say about being on the sideline? I mean, I remember the game was like, ending and they're panning out and they're like and you hear this you hear this like chant and they're like we're gonna go into that you know and they zoom in and they go to your bench and you just hear everybody doing the cues in the house oh my god and it like that feeling i never forgot that the sign that i have in my studio hung above my door in college when i moved in it was like the first thing i put on the on the wall and I put it right as you're walking out. So if you're in the room, you could see it. And when you leave the room, it's the last thing you saw over the door. And I didn't care what my roommate thought. He was a Maryland fan. I didn't care what anybody thought. I was like, this sign's going up. You're going to have to kill me in order for that sign to not go up. So Houston in the house, oh my God. Bring me into being a part of that. Tell me tell me how it all got started through your eyes I want to know the story of Houston the House. Oh my God! I know John's talked to me about it. Lazarus has talked to me about it. I want to hear Joe, JB's take on uh, Cuse's in the House. Oh my God! Uh, well, I think it was those two that started it, and if memory serves me correctly, uh, almost thirty years later, I think it something had something to do with Blase. Blase had a a similar type song or something um, back then, and they kind of added some words to it or changed some words and and made it ours. And it, it was kind of uh, almost like a mission statement of ours, that people needed to fear us, that we, you know, a lot of people see us as underdogs, but we never, so that's okay. They can see us as underdogs, but we had confidence in ourselves. We were a very senior-laden team that year. I mean, rarely do you have um, teams nowadays where you had, you had John Lazarus and myself, three seniors, um, on the court. You had a, a junior in Otis Hill. Um, then you had Jason Sapola, a tremendous shooter, silky smooth lefty out of Detroit. My man, TB, Todd Bergen. Yeah. Um, you had the, the lethal Lithuanian, Mario Shanulis, um, who could get hot from three. I mean, we just, we had a team that started back, I think it was in August of 1995, when we took a trip over to Europe and played some teams over there in kind of a preseason ordeal. Um, started that season, I'll never forget, 11-0, and walking right into Arizona and being the first non-conference team in like three years to beat them on their home court and go out to Hawaii over Christmas break and 13 and 0 after beating Illinois and then lose to uh, a very good um, Coach Cal UMass team with Camby, who also made the Final Four that year. Um, but you know that was just outside of outside of my family. That that is probably the favorite moments of my life of that entire season. 
um, having the opportunity. There were, there were times throughout my tenure at, at Syracuse I had considered possibly leaving and transferring, especially my, my uh, freshman, sophomore years when I wasn't playing much. Um, and then, you know, I'm glad I stuck it out because I got opportunities to start throughout my junior and senior year and be part of uh, something special. I mean, I, I think at the time when I used to speak about it, we were only the second team that Coach Beheim ever had that made it to the Final Four. And, and I appreciate your introduction. A lot of people will say part of the 1996 Final Four team, but I, I, if they don't add on that we were a national runner-up, I correct them and say part of the 1996 Final Two yeah. teams. Um, because there is a difference in my, in my mind. But uh, I think since then, Bayheim obviously they won in 03, and I think they've been twice after that. So still only five teams in his uh, in his career have made it to the Final Four. Um, and I'm, I'm very blessed to have been part of that, and it was such a tremendous journey. And um, what the university and athletic department did for us um, five years ago when they honored us on our 20-year reunion, back in uh, 2016 um, up there and to, to get the whole band back together and everything. Cause you know, we've all kind of gone, we keep in touch thank, thanks to social media and everything, but we've all kind of gone our separate ways and everything. It's good to see everybody um, again, every now and then. And uh, just, there'll always be a part of my life. Uh, I, I love when um, uh, the fans remember us. I, I saw just before we got on the call, uh, a friend of mine, Tim Primo, put Jason Sapola's shot against Georgia yeah. on Facebook because it's tournament time. And I, and I love when we get to tournament time and people are posting, you know, uh, Mello or Keem Warwick's block or Jerry McNamara going on that hot three streak. But they also throw in there Sapola's shot against Georgia and then John's overtime three to seal the victory for us. Um, or they post Al McGuire slipping and falling trying to sing when the Cuse is in the house. Oh, my God, my God. Uh, after, <laughs> yeah. we, after we beat Kansas on the way to the Final Four. I just, you know, it's just a special moment in my life that I, I'll always cherish. And speaking here with J.B. Reeves-Snyder, part of that Final Two in 96 and everything that you guys got to do when you're in Syracuse uh, basketball history you got to do something, like you said, uh, went and played Arizona. Syracuse has played Arizona once, and Arizona is 0-1 against Syracuse. It's like after they let you come come out to see them, they're like, all right, never again. They were the top three in the country. They got beat. They're like, all right, we're not doing Syracuse non-conference anymore. You got to play my favorite player growing up. And I just mentioned him on the show this week. And my favorite, favorite player, who is a big reason why they are my favorite team, still to this day, 26 years later, the Toronto Raptors, you got to play against Damon Stoudemire in that game where you beat Arizona, did you not? I did. There's a, a picture in my office of, uh, I'm blocking Joseph Blair, and, but Damon Stoudemire's right there. With his, and, and his back is to the camera, so you see Stoudemire across the, uh, his back. But, yeah, they had him, Miles Simon. Um, they had a, uh, uh, Jason Terry, and then they had 
Corey Williams, who's funny or not, when I was playing over in Europe, was became a teammate of mine in Belgium one season. Um, so it just shows you how small the basketball world is that we could play in Arizona. He was a sophomore on that on that team, and uh, when we beat them, and then fast forward five years later, we're teammates overseas. Yeah, you know, and, and it's it's so crazy how that happened. I mean, I talked to John Wallace about the fact that, you know, it's Syracuse hates Georgetown and vice versa, and then he's on a team with Patrick Ewing with the New York Knicks. So, I mean, for you overseas, bring me into that, because so many Syracuse players have made their hay overseas and have been so successful. I think Marek's going to have, I think he's going to have a career of at least 10 to 12 years overseas. So... What can you tell me about how your overseas career went and the fact that, you know, so many people focus on the NBA, but Syracuse players throughout history, the Dale Shackelfords and the Roosevelt Bowies and yourself and Trevor Cooney and Demetrius Nichols and, and so on and so forth, and Johnny Flynn, so many Syracuse guys have got Andy Routens have gone overseas. What can you say about it? Um, well, I was very fortunate and, and, and blessed to have the opportunity to play over there. I played seven full seasons um, over and, and throughout Europe. Um, Coach Fine and Coach Bayheim helped me get uh, with my first agent over there and helped me get into Greece. And that was the first country and league I played in was the Greek League, which was tremendous. They had some good players, some of them former NBA players who were towards the end of their career. I remember playing against John Sally. Um, uh, Scott Skiles was a player coach on one team. A young 16-year-old Paige Stoyakovich was on Pauk, wow. had been drafted by the Sacramento Kings, and was, I remember him uh, coming to his games in Greece and his Porsche, and then two years later he's in the NBA after being drafted at a young age and staying over there and continuing to develop. Um, but it, 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 it was, you know, there was, there's trials and tribulations with everything. Um, I, I, I know some of my former teammates who, who've gone over there and, and just didn't like it. You you are in a foreign country. Um, they don't necessarily speak your language or even want to speak your language. Um, different kinds of uh, culture and, 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 and foods. Um, but I, I loved it. I played a year in Greece, two years in Belgium. Came back here, played in the inaugural season of the MBDL, and was making a lot more money playing over in Europe, and, and had my own apartment. wasn't living in a hotel in Asheville, uh, North Carolina, like I did when I was in the MBDL. And then did two years in Poland, finished up in Sweden, and unfortunately my mother passed away, and that kind of was in a tragic car accident. And that kind of I decided to come home and help my dad and my younger brother and sister and. By that time, I decided to go back and play. Uh, they wanted the younger, cheaper players because I knew uh, how much I wanted to pay-wise. And uh, one year got past me, two years got past me, and so I just decided to to move on to to another part of my life and went back to school and got my law degree. Um, and I've been practicing law ever since. But um, you know, it was a tremendous opportunity. I got to see the world. Um, without having to pay anything and, and live in some fabulous places. And I love to get back over there, keep in touch with all my teammates. Um, I played against former 
uh, some players we played against in college. I played with them, like I mentioned, Corey Williams. I even played with a guy who was my arch rival at high school who played at Xavier University. He was a senior when I was a junior in high school, and next thing you know, we're teammates in Poland some 15 years later. So it was a tremendous opportunity. If you don't make it to the NBA um, and you have the opportunity to play over there, take full advantage of it. You can make a good living um, and embrace being able to see the, this world because it so, it's so vast. And not a lot of people get to get out of their own backyard and, and, and see it. So I, I recommend it for any of those who want to continue uh, basketball as a profession and, and don't have the opportunity to make it to uh, the ultimate top of our profession, which is the league. But it, it's still a wonderful opportunity for anybody out there. And, and there's lots of places to play all around the world. I know we have... I think it was uh, uh, Ryan Blackwell played in, in Southeast Asia, I believe, uh, some points. I've had friends who've played in Australia. Um, I mean, it's, it, it is a sport that's loved throughout the world and, and, and has been increasing over the years with, the, with their love. And now you can see the influx of their players coming into our country, whether it's on the collegiate or professional level. Yeah, you know, and speaking here with Syracuse Orange basketball alum J.B. Reefsnyder, that was part of that 1996 uh, runner-up team and that went through the Final Four and played in the championship against Kentucky. Uh, J.B., for for you, I mean, and, and I lo- I, everything you just said I kind, kind of made me want to ask you like a million questions, but, you know, seeing all of the, the things that you got to do, what can you say about basketball Elsewhere, I know you said that the world has a love for it and it's growing, but how did you experience it and kind of, you know, kind of just go through it? You know, like how, how did you experience the the world? You know, what did you take in? What did you see? And, and, and how did they respond to basketball and to, you know, to Americans coming over? Because you have a unique placement where you can really tell us, like, what does the world think of basketball and what did they think of Americans coming over to play the game? Um, well, you know, I don't know if the, the rules are still the same. Back back when I was playing in Europe, you could have two Americans per team and two non um, or two Eastern Europeans. Basically, they were trying to limit the number of Americans, limit the number of Lithuanians, Croatians, yeah. Russians, some of the better the Eastern Bloc basketball players, trying to limit those so that their home country players had an opportunity to, to play more. I, I remember Italy kind of opened it up, and you could have as many Americans and Eastern Bloc players as you want, and their players' union fought very hard against that because some of the Italian that our Italian players were without jobs or were no longer on their teams they wanted because they really, the teams brought in the American players. But with regards to being received, I mean, you were, I never had an issue. The fans, well, unless you played bad, uh, but that's anywhere you go. That's even here. Uh, the fans loved you. Um, you know, uh, they knew who you were. Um, they supported you in the game. 
games, out of the games, walking down to the cafes after morning shooting practice, going down to get some pastries and a coffee or something. They're they're just talking basketball with you. I mean, it was great. Um, But I don't know how much you're into uh, soccer or football, as they say, uh, throughout the rest of the world. Um, But they take that same support and bring it indoors because I remember playing in Greece and they had these protective shields over the benches. And I've never seen anything like that because we just sit on chairs in the U.S. and, you know, the fans are sitting right behind us. Yeah. And I remember asking a teammate, what are these for? And they're like, well, we're, this isn't our gym. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is opponent's gym. Like they throw, they throw coins at you and will hit you in the head. And, I remember seeing him shoot fireworks from one fan base over to the other, and we're indoors, so it's all filling up with smoke. <laughs> it's, it's a little crazy at times where you go. Wait, let's see. You, you saw them shoot fireworks indoors? Yeah, we were playing down in Athens and playing uh, Olympiakos, yeah. who had Paniote Masoulis. He was their Greece, probably all time best national team player, seven foot four. Got out, I swear, I swear on my mother's grave, he got out of a Mini Cooper when he pulled up to the arena, <laughs> smoking smoking a cigarette as quick as he could. There was no front seat in it. He sat in the back, and here come these long legs, and Paniote stood up. I was like, wow, he's super tall. But I'll never forget, I was like, man, this 7'4 guy drives a Mini Cooper with no front seat. This was, It was hilarious. But uh, I digress. Anyways, yeah. he, uh, we go in to play Olympiacos down in Athens, huge arena. Um, and the fans, our fan base and other fan base, are shooting like literally, not big exploding ones, but like screamers and stuff up over from one side of the court to the other side of the court into each other. And they got all the flags up and they're chanting and cheering. I mean, it's it's a very passionate fan base over there. Not that our fans here in the U.S. aren't passionate, but it is constant because they're club related, right? It's it's kind of like if you're going to Syracuse University when you're three years old all the way till you get out of college. These these fans and clubs, they, they're a school system. They're a club with lots of different sports and activities. They have a, a center area where, where all the athletes and everything can congregate. And so you're very passionate about your club that you're a part of. And that's from an early age through adulthood. Yeah, you know, and and like you said, I mean the pa- I mean the passion we hear it with soccer and everything overseas. You're talking about it in general. I mean, it's. I guess I still can't get over the fact that you just said someone blew off fireworks indoors, oh, but <laughs> like I I can't I can't I'm trying to wrap my head around it, and I j- and I'm and I'm struggling. But I mean I I mean I remember when what was it John. Is it John Rocker that they sent uh, that uh, when he came out, Yankee fans threw batteries at him and stuff. But like, there's there's people. I mean, there's stuff that's happened in sports where you kind of have to like take a step back. I mean, people throw beer on you if you try to do you know the Lambo leap and you're the other team or whatever. You know, I mean, Philadelphia fans booed Santa Claus, but I've never heard of fireworks indoors and then a seven foot four guy getting out of a mini coop is reminds me of the Shaquille O'Neal 
commercial where he was like, I don't know, he was he was talking about some small car that he, you know, he probably got endorsed and whatever to talk about. I'm like, Shaquille O'Neal doesn't sit in that car unless they build it around the frame that he's sitting in. There's no, like, this is not his car. But I find that crazy to see him kind of step out of that thing, a mini coupe. But, I mean, you've gotten to see some crazy things in your life. I I guess I have to ask you, what's the craziest Syracuse experience you've ever had? Oh, man. Um, well, there's probably some I, I can't air on the air. Um, All right, we'll talk about those off the air. <laughs> we'll talk about those off the air. Wow, uh, you know... Okay, you stumped me with that one. There, there weren't crazy ones. There's funny ones. All right, give me um, some like, funny. If it's not crazy, give me something else. Like, like whenever, whenever we would travel, especially on that European trip, where we're driving around like the Swiss Alps and stuff um, on the, on this bus, and th- there was a rule. Now, I, I kind of understood this unwritten rule because I was a senior at that time but you don't don't use the restroom on the bus yeah because if you use the restroom on the bus who's ever sitting back there which was usually like john or otis that foot's going up on the door and you're not getting out for the duration of the trip yeah and james may went to the restroom and was stuck in the bus ride for about 45 minutes in the in 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 the in the bus restroom for that trip so James May was stuck in the stuck in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, we foot went, foot went up on the door and we wouldn't let him out. Oh my lord! He had to ride the rest of the trip there. I can picture because Otis Hill, another another friend of mine, like I can picture Otis, like if he put his foot on the door, like him to me, he's like a, I don't know, he was like kind of like a sleeping giant, I guess, like. If he, if he put the foot on the like the door, I might as well just like cut a cartoon hole off and jump out of the bus. Like there's no way I'm getting out. And so who had the foot on the door more, Otis or John? Uh, it was probably John. Oh, pro- okay. So it was John. So John was John was like he didn't have as much meat on his bones as as Otis. Otis like I told him because he said those Georgetown games and Big East was like football and whatnot, and so. John had his foot on the door more often. Okay, but they, but those guys sat in the back. Did they usually? I gotta ask. Did you? Did they usually sleep? And which one of them snored the most? Uh, you know, you put me in a tough spot because I, I love, I love my man Big O. Yeah. But uh, I love Big O too. He was my roommate, a dear friend of mine. We stay in touch. He's my ride or die uh, partner. Oh, we lost we lost you for a second here, JB. What did you say? He's your ride or die? What? He he, he was my ride or die, the the dual headed monster at our center position. Um, but um, Otis uh, Otis liked to sleep, a lot. <laughs> and uh, I don't know about the snoring part, um, but I think Otis Otis slept more than John. On I love that. I love that. Otis, Otis liked to sleep. Who had the best music? Oh man, that's that's a tough one because they all had good music. But I, I might have to go with uh, 
TV. Okay. Todd, Todd had some, Todd, Todd had the tunes that, that everybody would uh, just come around and listen to. Maybe it was, a, maybe it's from being from Detroit, you know, Motown City. Yeah, so Todd, Todd Bergen had the beat. I like that. I appreciate that. So the Q's in the house, oh my God, I want to go back to that. And, you know, being a part of that, just having that erupt on the bench and having you guys sing that and kind of arm in arm swaying back and forth with one another. Just, I mean, bring me into that, those moments, because there's only a few people that got to do that. I mean, like, yeah, the fans did it and whatnot, but like you guys that like created it and had it, you did it. Like, I will never forget that moment in history. This sign would come with me in a zombie apocalypse in my book bag. So, like, I have to, I got to ask you what, 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 what life was like to experience it and when it erupted to be a part of that. Because there's the people that sing the songs of the band, but you guys were the band. So what was it like being the band, so to speak? Uh, meaningful. You know, there was there was a, a a meaning and an energy behind it. You know, it was it wasn't just a a stadium song. It wasn't just a a pump you up team chant or anything like that. There was a, a true belief and a meaning behind it, and, and we would sing it um, before games. And most definitely after we just won the game, um, because it was kind of like, yes, we, we shocked the world when we, I think the loudest we sang it maybe was after we took down that stacked Kansas team in the elite eight. Yeah. Um, standing as a band of brothers on the sideline, uh, when they're interviewing coach Bayheim and we broke into, broke into the, the pieces in the house. Oh my God, my God chant. Um, right there live on national television um that listen we we believe in each other um we are here in the house by the grace of god and and we're moving on and um there was just an energy about it and even still i have that same sign here in my house um that i was fortunate someone um gave me um so i could have one and just thinking about that seeing it takes me back to that to those moments that I'll forever cherish and the energy that was that was there every single time in those moments when we broke into it and then to hear the fans sing it too I mean it just really would energize us and kind of fill the arena with that kind of energy and vibe and it really helped carry us on to that national championship game um, unfortunately we ran into a uh, team that had basically two starting lineups on it um, with the, the the tough Kentucky Wildcats, but but we gave them a heck of a game. But yeah, I just you know um, that John and and Z got that chant going at some point during the season, and it just it kind of blew up and took on a life of its own and brought this energy and never forget it. Yeah, you know, and such such an incredible moment. You know, I mean. Yes, you, your team in 96 was the runner-up, runner but you did something for us. You know, you did something for the city. You built something for us here. And, I mean, I, I feel, I mean, I, I, for me, 
I can tell you that, in my opinion, and probably why the 1996 team is my favorite team, is it cemented to me that my city had this place, that, you know, we deserved it, that we earned it, that we're blue collar and we don't care, and that we will come at you, we will give you everything we got. Like, I think that, and not to take anything away from teams before and teams after, I just feel like your team in 1996, the Cuse in the house, oh my God, like, that chance, that moniker, that belief that we belong in the house, that we're here, that you can't get us out, that you mocked us and we're still dancing, like standing up against adversity, believing in yourself, loving where you come from, just putting your blood, sweat, and tears and everything. I feel like your team in 95, 96, I feel like they told the world about Syracuse and we've never stopped talking about Syracuse since then. So I want to tell you thank you for that, JB. Well, I, I appreciate those kind words. And, and I think you said it best is when you said, you know, you get that chant going and it's, yes, we're in the house. And it's where we belong. It's where we've, we've worked so hard and always belonged. And, and for all those doubters out there, don't doubt us. Shouldn't doubt us. You know, the... You know, I, I try not to listen to all that bracketology and, and all that stuff leading up to the NCAA tournament and Joe Lenardi's last four out and all that stuff because I'm like, just look at our track record. We belong. And and the support we have from the community, you know, it's not just the team. It, it's 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 the collective. It's it's the fans, it's the the, the sports announcers, it's the team. It's a student body. You know, we all are Syracuse. And, and we're a force to be reckoned with. And do we win all the time? No. Yeah. But we win We win more than most. Yeah. And, and Coach has proven that over the years. I, I don't care what the NCAA takes away and doesn't take away and stuff like that. It's, uh, you know, our program has been a force to reckon with for years and will be for years to come. And so... I just love that we're it's kind of like Cuse Nation, you know. We're we're all one, and I'm glad we we got all behind that that kind of I don't want to call it a rally cry of Cuse is in the house, but to to get off that airplane in 1996, coming back from the Elite Eight at around midnight, I think it was, and the number of fans at the airport uh, cheering us and and, and and shouting that uh, rally cry, the Cuse is in the house. I mean that was a that was a sight and a, and, a, and a tremendous memory, and I'm just glad that you know that kind of level of support hasn't faded over the years. Even though there's been some tough years, some down times, questionable, um, where's the future of the program going? That the support has always been there, and that's something I love about um, the Syracuse fan base, the city of Syracuse, and the university is the tremendous support. Um, whether it's, like I said earlier when we first started the interview, whether it's for the current team or, or for us uh, older guys who are 25 uh, years removed, uh, the support and love is always there, and, and, and we give it right back um, to, to our loyal fans. Well, and I, and I feel like your team is like always the positive. I feel if that, if that 95-96 team comes walking into the Dome, then – 
you know, the fans know Cuse is in the house. Oh my God. Like, and when the fans are finally back in the dome, that's what I want them to say. Like, I want that to be the rally cry. I want that to be, I want that to be the sounds that I hear because they're lit. The Cuse fans are literally back in the house and oh my God, because we just went through all this stuff over this past year, we weren't ready for like Cuse is in the house. Oh my God is that's the real that's them being back in. I mean, when I, when I stand in that dome, the day that the fans come back and I just, and I just stand there and I look around and I take that panoramic view with my eyes like a kid and I see everybody back. I can't wait for that. You know, I can't wait for the moment where the fans get to come back and the real fans, the fans that, yeah, you get frustrated. Yeah. You get upset. Yeah. You don't like to lose, but you support Syracuse no matter what, because a real fan will support you no matter what. You don't want to have a mom or a dad that supports you when you have a, a good day, but when you have a tough moment or your girlfriend breaks up with you, they sit there and say, well, you deserve it. You're ugly. You're stupid. I mean, you don't want somebody coming over to your cubicle, messing up all your papers, putting coffee in your printer. Like People have to remember that how you act as a fan determines if you are a fan or a fanatic. And a fanatic is just a crazy person that shows up to a game to lose their mind because they're unhappy. But a true fan, that's somebody who lives with you. That's, a, that's somebody who hurts with you, who vibes with you, who's happy with you, who cries with you, who laughs with you. And when that dome finally gets to be packed again, I want the, if the fans, if you're listening, I want you, I want you to, to say Houston in the house, oh my God, because that's what we need to hear. And it, right, like, so it makes perfect I sense. <laughs> I can't even imagine what it has been like um, for strange, uh, very strange, JB. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, the the pandemic that we're all dealing with now is is its own right, its own um, disaster and catastrophe. Um, but I can only imagine. I, you know, I, I don't know. Are they calling it a different name? I call it the Dome. Right? I, I played in the Carrier Dome. That's where I play. They yeah. may have a different name now. It's going to be all revamped and whatever. But I can only imagine the Q's fans coming back and liken it to the New Orleans Saints fans after Katrina when they came back for that first game. And the Saints took the field. And the place just erupted because – gave a sense of like hope you know and um you know they're both very loyal passionate fan bases and um i don't know maybe maybe i can be there just to experience live in person uh the the, the sense of what it would be like when uh, the Hughes take the court and fans are actually in their seats in, in the dome and, and that's the thing. And you know what? I hope you're there. And if you're there and nobody else, I hope everybody does it. I hope they all do it. But whether they do or not, if you're there, JB, I'll arm in arm with you, Sway, Cuse is in the house. Oh, my God. I will I will be, if, if, if two of us are going to say it, then four of us are going to say it, then eight of us are going to say it, then 20, then 100. You come to the Dome, I promise you, I will, I will find you and you and I will say Cuse is in the house. Oh, my God, no matter what. Cause we should deal. So we're going to, we're going to air shake on that one. We're going to air shake hands on that. But you know, I mean, incredible, incredible time. 
amazing. And, you know, Jim Boeheim's got 1,081 wins, not 980. You can't erase history. I said he'll be the first coach to 1,000 wins twice. But for for UJB, uh, there's something I do at the end of every Tuesday broadcast. It's called The Ingredients to Success. It's proudly presented by Abacoli's on the corner of Route 57 and Wetzel Road, a great local company here in our community. And uh, use the hashtag support CNY. When you go to Avicoli's, post your picture of your pizza, your veal parmesan, your antipas, whatever you get. Uh, show some love to the local community. And thank you to everybody that's been devout and so committed to Avicoli's. I appreciate it. The ingredients to success, you made it all the way to the championship game. So today's topic for the ingredients to success is longevity. And, you know, I, I guess the topic would be getting to the end, like getting to that moment, how do you get there? So give me the ingredients to success as if you're talking to Syracuse current players right now. What do you tell the 2020-2021 team about how you get all the way to the end? Uh, it's the same thing we told our uh, West Cairo middle girls who were state runner-ups this year, um, my daughter's team. Um, you know, one, we're a team. They're, they're, we're not individuals. You've got to go out there and play as a team. No griping about each other if bad plays happen. Uh, play unselfish across the board. Whatever five is in there, be unselfish. Work your tail off on the defensive end because playing good defense will translate into playing better offense, more opportunities for us. And we got to rebound the ball. We have to limit them to uh, one shot of possession. Try to eliminate as many offensive rebounds as possible. And if you do that, you have a high percentage for success going forward because we'll be more efficient on offense because we'll get more runouts and use our athleticism on the fast break. Um, if Ron's selfish on the offensive end, um, you'll create more opportunities for open shots versus contested shots. And so I, I think those are always my three keys, whether I was playing or the teams I've been coaching over the years, which have just been my kids' teams, have been being unselfish as a teammate, playing hard-nosed, tough-nosed defense. you gotta, you got to win those 50-50 balls. you got to dive on the floor and get the ball, especially in an NCAA tournament situation. You can't be last to the ball. You got to be first there. You got to be first to the spot so you can be in position to take the charge. And you got to rebound. If if we're not rebounding well and giving a and and letting them just out rebound us in the zone, um, it's going to be a, a long game for us. Um, and, but you know, I think those for me, those were the same things that were preached to me by coaches back in the '90s, and I think they carry forward even through today's game. You can be. Um, the best shooter in the world, but if, if you're not stopping somebody on the defensive end and they outscore you, you still lose the game. Right. Right. So, um, I think that, I, I think, and I think this team can do it. I think this team, you know, Buddy's been playing great, but I don't know if you have that, like, marquee star like you had with some Syracuse teams. You know, you had the Carmelo Anthony standout kind of star. You have John Wallace, Lawrence Moten, Gary Coleman. I don't know if you have just this player who is 
far superior to anybody else on our team or on the opposing teams we play. So they got to have to do it as a collective unit. But team basketball will beat individual basketball anytime, in my opinion. Even though 3 team, it wasn't just Carmelo. Jerry had a huge first half. Hakeem Warwick making the tremendous block that will go down in Syracuse lore. Yeah. Right? It wasn't just one person getting it done out there. It takes the team. That's what was so special about our 96 team was just that. A lot of unselfish players. Even our best player on the team was probably one of the most unselfish players on the team. And, and that just exudes confidence and trust. And so I think with those three ingredients, I think the Qs are set up for success in this tournament. Couldn't have said it better myself and tied it all together better. J.B. Reef Snyder, Syracuse Orange men's basketball alum, giving us the ingredients to success this week, proudly presented by Avicoles, and giving us stories and a connection back to the team that made us believe we could win a national championship and then mentioning the team that did in 2003. JB, it is my honor, it is my privilege, as I said in the beginning, to, to speak with you. For you to say that you have listened to the show and have connected with me at all, I will tell you, is it, it, it's, an, it's an honor. I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. And I am just so, I am, I'm so incredibly honored because your team... 25 years later, still reminds me to never back down, always believe, to kind of own being a redheaded stepchild, and to know that nobody has to believe in you except for you, and uh, to me, God, you know, something uh, above me that that I give all the credit to, so, and the one I do, so, I mean, I, I honestly, I, I feel incredibly uh, blessed this morning, and in general, and the fact that we got to talk on the phone is, is great, and I look forward to doing it again soon. And the fact that, that you have even know my name, uh, let alone listen to the show, is, is something I would go back in time and tell that 10-year-old me, like, hey, buddy, like, you think that life is great now and you think this is amazing. Wait until you see what God has in store for you next. So... All I can say is thank you, and I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful and blessed for the time that I got to spend with you and, and, and for the fact of uh, for what you said to me today, which I still, I, I just, I, I don't know if there's adequate words that can say thank you to that respect. Well, I appreciate it, Dan, and, and thank you for the, the wonderful opportunity to come on your show, um, to speak with you, and to uh, foster and uh, develop our relationship. Um, I'm glad we got in touch. I hope we stay in touch over the over the years. And and you know the the support um, you gave us when you were 10 years old, and the support you give uh, Keys Country now, um, it's never wavered. And we're grateful for that. And you don't, I don't know if you or the fans really know what it means to us. We may not, we may not recognize it when we're immature 18 20 year old knucklehead college kids but when we look back on our time there and when we hear the fans speak now and and the impact we had on people it is um it's very meaningful and touching um, for us and so we appreciate that i appreciate it 
and uh, I definitely want us to stay in touch. And and I sw- I promise you, if I get up there, you'll you'll know in advance of when I'm coming, so we can get together in person. Well, thank you for that. That that would be amazing for me and a true honor for me. We will stay in touch. I look forward to seeing you. Thank you again uh, for all your kind words and for everything you had to say. And I'm happy that we get to build our relationship, build our friendship to JB and the honor is all mine. And a, and a shout out to your daughter and a, and a big congratulations for her getting as far as she did. And shout out to you being a dad and a husband and, and uh, my best to you and your family and all your loved ones moving forward. Enjoy watching the tournament. I will have you back on here soon and I'll see you soon. And, and, and really just, you know, you, you warmed a kid's heart today. And I, I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you for the time, Dan. I appreciate it. I look forward to us uh, speaking again in the future, uh, whether it's on the radio or um, on um, just breeze. But continue the great work. Fight the good fight. And it's been an honor and privilege of mine to join you today. Well, thank you, JB. That's JB Reef Snyder. Appreciate you, JB, and I'll talk with you soon. Thanks, Dan. Take care. You too.